0: In the automotive industry, they they have uh, this functional safety standard that they're trying to meet. When when they put a device in the car, they want that device to only cause a fatality once in a million, in a billion hours. Uh, so so having something that works ninety nine percent of the time doesn't come close to getting the, you there. So you you really need to get to something in like the six nines ballpark. Uh, we're currently somewhere, you know, in the four nines. We're building up processes and tools to get that even even higher. Uh, that's that's the level that need you know needs to be hit to make uh, what I, what I call eye, eyes off driving a reality.
1: Welcome to the Autonicast. My name is Kirsten Korosek, and I am the senior transportation reporter at TechCrunch.
2: And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of *Ludicrous: the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors.
3: Uh, I'm Alex Roy, occasionally of Argo AI, and I'm very interested in today's guest, our friend Mark Wheeler from DeepMap, because my entire career, especially the Cannonball Run record, would not have happened without a deep knowledge of HD mapping, specifically Google Earth. Mark Wheeler knows a lot about maps. I'm glad
0: to have him here today. We all are. Hey, Mark. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Ed and Kirsten. Great to be here. So,
2: so we were actually just talking about about old maps and, and and maps before we hit hit the record button here and um h- how did you first get into mapping like it, it's a, it's a it's a long tradition it's on forever it's more relevant than ever in a lot of different fields um what was the thing that drew you to maps
0: oh yeah M- maps i think everybody finds some connection to so you know i al- always had that uh studying maps as a kid uh but uh my, my first map i got involved with was probably at apple uh doing quick time VR. So making something very similar to like street view making little maps. We did like several museums, map them out. You could stop and and look at panoramas inside the museum. Uh, then uh, I was at uh, a startup called Cyra, building the pretty much the first uh, really high accuracy uh, LIDAR system. And uh, that was used for mapping projects. And we were bought by one of the principal companies in the mapping field, which is uh, Leica Geosystems. They're a, a 200-year-old Swiss company that uh, builds all the mapping equipment. Uh, so uh, our equipment was used for that, and they have many other devices. And so I got became familiar with that.
3: Wait, wait Mark, what year was that? Were you acquired? What year were you
0: building? 2001. Uh, we were acquired. So oh, that's very early in this game. Right. So uh I had that experience there but then uh in 2007 I joined Google and I thought I was going to be working on Street View but they they put me on another product uh in mapping. Uh for for them they were just you know putting people wherever they had needs for people not necessarily based on what your your expertise was uh and and that that wasn't what I would have picked but it turns out I learned everything about mapping there, uh, like at a very deep level. Uh, so I think that, that was a major, uh, factor. Uh, I got exposed to the whole pipeline at, at Google. And what, what year was that that you joined Google? 2007.
1: Um, I wanted to go back to when you were first at Apple and you mentioned sort of how you, some of your first experiences, but was it because you had a specific interest in that and you had, maybe some education or background in building mapping technology, or was it similar to Google's situation where they just sort of were looking people for looking for people and you were placed on a team and it sort of was more serendipitous than intentional?
0: Uh, no, that was intentional. I, I was at uh, CMU in the, I did a PhD in uh, computer vision, um, uh, uh, doing object modeling and localization, which, uh, was very relevant to mapping and and uh, self-driving and all these other things. But uh, Apple at the time was starting to develop this technology called QuickTime VR, which is way ahead of its time. Uh, they came recruiting at CMU and they showed kind of some demos of what they had so far and people were blown away. And doing that at CMU is kind of very rare because basically, you know, the, the work they're doing at c m u are generally like twenty years ahead of everybody, but Apple came in here with this demo, and everybody was like well oh, that's that's pretty interesting uh, and then uh, I was recruited along with a, a couple other guys to to go there and uh help develop that technology more uh, and it, it was very interesting, but it was a very turbulent time uh that was that was the year Gil Emilio was still there, and uh uh jobs. <laughs> Kind of uh, pushed his way in. And, uh, literally, we were in this. Uh, our, our group was in uh, one infinite loop uh, where Jobs was uh, located. And, uh, the, the day that he took over, uh, they you know, this is '96. They notified the employees by messages on their uh, phones. So everybody had little blinking lights on their phones, and they picked up and then. You get a message from Gil Amelia saying I'm gone, and Steve Steve's in there. you hear all these, oh shit! <laughs> and,
3: and what happened to the uh, QuickTime VR product? Uh, or, uh, how-
0: that I think that was one of these things where maybe it was a little bit too far ahead, and uh, the the you know we actually had the ability to show uh, uh, 360 VR movies on the web with that uh, we had that in place so you could like stream a live concert or something like this and spin around and all this stuff. But, uh, maybe for it to take off in a big way, it wasn't ready. Uh, and I think, uh, when jobs took over, they really started. To focus. So they trimmed down everything, you know, they trimmed our group down to like 10 or 12 people or something like this. Uh, it was like 35 people, uh, and uh gradually i think most of those people moved out anyway so i think the, the focus on it kind of uh died off
1: so that means we're going to see it in like a few years at the next uh, developer conference and it's going to be retooled and <laughs> I, I wonder if it i wonder how often those products come back
0: it it took uh 10 years before it really came back and that was at google street view right uh, and and that was uh it was funny because they did that completely independently. They didn't have any of the guys from that team, I don't believe. Uh, and it was just Larry Page telling uh, a couple of guys to go out and see what they could do with this video. He took hanging a camera out of his car window driving around and eventually, you know, they, they kind of invented all of that stuff.
1: So I'm curious about when you, you talked about how it, maybe it wasn't necessarily where you wanted to be when you were assigned to mapping over at Google, but you learned everything you really needed to know. Um, what was that? I mean, what was it that you didn't have before that has now continued to be an essential part of your, I guess, institutional knowledge now that you're applying to DeepMap?
0: Yeah. So so, uh, so, first of all, the, the technology I was working on before Google was, was more on uh, kind of Capturing large amounts of data and processing it in place, whereas Google was uh, worried about you know world scale <laughs> capture uh, so when 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 I go into my first meetings at Google and see some of the projects they're talking about, the scale that they work at and all this stuff was completely like unheard of so so uh, getting hands on uh, experience with the technologies to make that happen. Uh, was was very important, uh, and then there's all kinds of deep things in mapping uh, how to how to manage data, how how to uh, model things uh, that that aren't kind of generally you know well understood. There's there's not that many companies that you know focus on that, and then Google really kind of pushed it to another level uh, with with the scale and uh, speed at which they operated.
2: Yeah, no, it's fascinating because um, you mentioned, you know, the startup being acquired by a 200-year-old Swiss mapping company. And, and you know, I happen to know my my partner is an architectural historian, so she works with Sanborn Maps all the time. Sure, sure. And yes. Sanborn Maps is still around. I mean, yes. these are old, co- like, and, and I think with, you know, in the auto industry, you know, people are like, okay, yeah, everyone knows the, the big old legacy companies. But I think people don't, I certainly don't know in mapping sort of how this, you know, this business that was around for hundreds of years, it sounds like really, you know, computer vision and 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 some of those more recent developments. Like, was there an understanding from the get go that like these developments would change mapping so much and that mapping would become sort of the the you know everyone looks i feel like everyone looks at google maps like at least or 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 some mapping thing like at least every day if not many many times a day like was that all seen coming or was it sort of more like this technology developed and it was like there was just the connection that this that this could really transform mapping because it didn't seem it doesn't seem like the the old companies were you saw any of this coming
0: no they they didn't, and you know I, I think that's typical of uh you know industries you know ebb and flow kind of like they, they build up a huge amount of competency using some level of technology and then uh, you know they get so ingrained in that kind of process and workflow that uh, adapting to something new becomes very difficult and I think all, all the uh, legacy mapping companies have this uh google. Was one of the first ones to really like look beyond and look at you know all the technology that could be put put to uh, bear on that problem, and really cut the whole industry flat-footed, uh, and 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 it's very difficult for them to recover because uh, you know it's it's very hard to recruit the kind of people that you need into those companies to actually uh, make this changes. And the the other problem is they have they have existing businesses and they they have to keep. That running to actually stay alive? And how do you throw all these resources in this other thing, which will take several years and some risk to develop? Uh, So it's it's a very difficult situation for them to to come come back from.
1: Are there any legacy companies that have actually managed to get maybe a slight foothold or maybe not compete against Google and mapping, but at least not be you know back in the 20th century still looking ahead more
0: <laughs> well you, you have a couple of the legacy mapping companies like here in TomTom tom that are yeah. trying to stay relevant and it's very difficult for them uh because the business models are, are changing now i think i think they see hd maps as a possible uh way to to actually make it into the next 20 years <laughs>
3: For you know, for those who are listening, who perhaps aren't familiar with the mapping space, can you can you break down the different approaches technically and the different business models
0: that exist in the space? So so the business model for you know, the legacy mapping companies was to sell maps, and Google was buying them. Uh, they were buying that data and putting it on Google Maps. But then at some point, Google looks at the data and said, "This data is not great. Uh, we we have." Uh, tech, techniques and technologies to actually improve the data, but practically it wasn't working because you'd make a change and you have to send it back to them and and then they send you back a change maybe a year later. You know, this wasn't anything that that uh, Google thought was uh, gonna gonna fly for what they wanted to do. So uh, so that that business model of buying the maps, you now, you know for Google, they made the decision, you no, know, we're gonna make the maps. Uh, so that cuts off some revenue now. When Google offers their maps for free in this app, that cuts off a whole another set of revenue for them. Uh, you know, a lot of their business now is selling maps to car, you know, car companies, so that it can be embedded in your, in your uh, infotainment or navigation unit. Uh, and Google's eating into that with uh, Android Auto and Apple with CarPlay. So, their their business model is under pressure quite heavily Uh, and HD Maps is an area that's new and uh, slightly different from uh, the previous maps so that's an area where you know they're looking to kind of stay relevant
2: so so you sort of one of the the pieces in there sort of seems to be this issue of you know how faithfully is your map keeping up with what's happened with the changes that happen right because we all know you drive the same commute every day and there's construction. There's, you know, and, and it could be road construction. It could be sewer construction. It could be telephone line construction. I mean, things change constantly in our environment. And you know, the old saying that the map is not the territory uh, is sort of the fundamental challenge here, right? So, so, and and again, the, you know, there are lots of different sort of approaches to this. Um, maybe if you could sort of map out what what the different ways of of doing this are, or or, or maybe just you know where where you took deep map um, in terms of addressing that particular part of the problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, for AVs and and self-driving, the requirements are completely different from what traditional navigation maps were. Uh, You know, uh, they, they have to be, you know, they have to be a different level of detail for one that, you know, that kind of seems obvious. Uh, But the, the next thing is they have to be very efficiently used. So if you think about it, uh, navigation maps are for humans who operate on like you know if, if you can update the map every you know couple of seconds as the user is panning around, everything is fine. Whereas uh an AV uses an HD map on like a millisecond uh time scale. Uh and then the next thing is uh freshness of the map. Uh you know as, as you're you know driving around with a navigation map, all kinds of things are wrong. Like Google Maps you know, has the highest uh, quality data, but still, you can go to a town where a whole section of town is not mapped. So, f- for for AVs and HD maps, one of the key things is can you detect the changes as the AV is driving around and update the map, you know, almost instantly? And that's something we've been uh, solving. House. Yeah, that's a big question. So so, yes, so uh, so traditionally, maps have been made by mapping vehicles. You see the uh, street view cars running around, and here maps in TomTom have similar cars. Uh, They have about 100 of them, maybe 200 of them worldwide. They go around, capture the areas. uh, Every now and then they go back and recapture the areas to update them. Uh, So in our mind, that wasn't going to be – uh, a solution. So, uh, in our mind, we we designed from the beginning that the self driving cars would be the mapping vehicles, and they would also participate in keeping the map up to date. So you, you need to have a, a kind of a enough cars in an area to kind of maintain the map uh, that in terms of coverage and and uh, update frequency.
3: So an AV developer subcontracts to you to you, to enable their vehicles to cruise around. Uh you collect, they collect the data, it flows through to you, you manage it. Yes. And
0: then uh are you allowed to resell that data or to other clients? So so yeah, that's a good question. Uh it, it depends. Uh uh it's a it's part of the contract with us. So we we leave it open to them, so if they want to share the data, then we we can enable that, and then possibly the price can be distributed, uh, or they can keep it private. Right now, most of them are keeping it private because they're operating in like you kind know, of secret areas and you know their own little areas, and they don't want to really let anybody see that. Uh, but on, on a large scale, I think they all kind of. Yeah, you know, from almost all the companies we talk to are interested in in sharing, you know, because they want to distribute the cost. Kind of like Robert Oppenheimer and uh, the original
3: Atomic Secrets. He's like, well, if everybody had it, then it's a public good, right?
0: Yeah, right, right now <laughs> everybody's keeping the secrets.
3: <laughs> you use LiDAR to create these HD maps because you have to. There's no other sensor that you have that level of resolution. What do you say to the folks, the Tesla fan community? Who would, whose position it is that that's just not necessary uh, that you can prep? Once you explain to those who again who may not understand it, um, to the extent that you can, um, sure. what is what is the opposing argument to HD maps? Does it have any merit?
0: Yeah. So so <laughs> yeah. Everybody, you know, Elon will say, "Oh, uh, humans don't need a lidar, you know, to to drive," which is true. <laughs> but if you, if you've worked in computer vision long enough, you understand that those, those things aren't going to work. Uh, there, there's kind of, uh, some very, you know, fundamental problems, uh, with, with cameras that, you know, at, at some level you just can't get past. Uh, you know, so let's say, you know, you don't, you don't need lidar. So, uh, what are you losing by lidar? Uh, so, for for a car to interact in the world, you have to have a, a fairly good understanding of you know kind of the geometry of the world, and uh, fundamentally, lidar gives you that much more reliably than camera can ever do. Like camera, you know, there's techniques to use multiple cameras to try to you know uh, triangulate geometry and things like this. But it's, it's a very uh, difficult problem to solve at a very high level of reliability. Uh, there, there are lots of fundamental problems there. And to, to add to that, the accuracy doesn't turn out to be very good, even when you've done the, the pixel to pixel matching uh, very accurately. Uh, so fundamentally, if you're using camera to do this, it's going to be much worse than what LiDAR will give you. Uh, LiDAR uh, doesn't care about the lighting or shadows, things like this. Uh, you know, so, something that most people don't understand is that the the image that you see from a uh, camera is is a very complicated function of all kinds of uh, variables. So even if you were trying to, t- try to understand a single scene where there was like, uh, you know, the same geometry all the time, it may be difficult to even solve that because of all the variations of lighting and and effects from uh, reflectivity of objects, things like this. Uh, So, so it's a very uh, big combinatorial problem. So how much training data would you need to solve that for even a a limited space? You know, it's kind of unbounded.
1: Do you think that that will always, that LIDAR will always be that critical component to achieve sort of what you just laid out? Or is there a, Will there be enough technological advances with cameras to at, at some point in the future, you know, become, LIDAR becomes unnecessary?
0: Uh, my take is that the cameras will be pla- replaced by LICAMs. So something we did in in, in LICA, and I think we were one of the first to do it is we put a camera in line with the LIDAR so that when you, when you took uh, the, the LIDAR scan you could actually view it and it looks just like an image and you can go look it up. Uh, you know, uh, you, you get this huge image, but the difference was you knew the 3d coordinates of every point in the image. And my, my guess is, uh, the technology will eventually, uh, converge on something like that. And, and, and the, and the issue is, is reliability. Like, uh, being able to to drive at a place at night with uh, no lighting or with very you know bright sunlight in your face and things like this and still have the same behavior every time that's a a big advantage and uh, you know my my guess is that the technology will evolve to the point that the a like cam is a hundred bucks and you'll put five of them on on the car the car will be very safe and you won't ever think about trying to remove that, you know, and they'll keep cranking on making that, you know, tell it's like a $10 device. And
1: Is that a long-term view, meaning that to get to that point that you just laid out, that's a decade away, or is that something that is near term?
0: So so we're seeing uh, li- uh, automotive-grade LiDAR starting to show up in cars. Uh, there's like, I think, three, three different... Uh, vendors who are, are four different vendors that are going into cars next year. Uh, that that trend we think will continue. Uh, you have Luminar with a, a excellent uh, quality lidar from the demos I've seen. Uh, uh, they they have very high, you know, long range, very high accuracy. Then you have the Velodyne, uh, IBO, and uh, Innoviz is uh, working with BMW. That, that that that's a trend that's just going to continue, and you know uh, the the safety trade off. Uh, you, know, you won't want to to make, especially when the, the cost of those are you know sub five hundred.
1: Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time.
2: Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes.
1: Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's
2: provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger
1: than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We
2: created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone.
1: Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit autonocast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Thanks.
2: You've mentioned reliability a couple of different times now, and and I love it because it's like it oftentimes seems like one of the hardest things to explain about autonomous vehicles is it's not just sheer capability that you need. You need that capability to be so, so reliable. Um, how, how does that play out? And, and, right. it seems like conceptually on, right, uh, having a map um, is something that allows you to have some certainty about certain things, which allows you to focus on the more uncertain things, which seems like intrinsically like maps build reliability, but, but sort of, in what other ways, like, like what does it take to make a map really, really reliable? And like, what kind of level of reliability are you getting at? And then maybe how in turn does that sort of feed the reliability of the the vehicle? Sorry, Mm -hmm. again, I, my patented, like three question sandwich there.
0: Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So in the automotive industry, they, they have uh, this functional safety standard that they're trying to meet when, when they put a device in the car, they want that device to only cause a fatality once in a million, know, billion hours. So get that ar- around your, you know, get your head around that. <laughs> uh, it, 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 you know, ultimately, you know, you think about it, it turns into like 30 billion miles on average or something. But um, uh, so, so what gets you to that level of reliability? That's, a lot of, a lot of digits. Uh, uh, so, so having something that works uh, 99% of the time doesn't come close to getting you there. So uh, you you really need to get to something in like the six nines all park. Uh, we're, we're currently somewhere, you know, in the four nines, we're building up processes and tools to get that even, even higher. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that's the level that need you know needs to be hit to make uh what I what I call eye, eyes off driving a reality. Uh what 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 we have now with L2 uh systems is you know, you better have your eyes on or you you're really risking your life and everybody else's life around you.
2: Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, when you when you Google sort of, you know six nines or nine nines reliability. I mean, you get these these articles that are a lot of it in in the tech world where where the focus on this was on like server uptime or like software as a service sort of right. uptime. And it's like, I, I, there's just an article that's come up a couple of times when I've been researching this topic and it's like the holy grail of five nines reliability. <laughs> and, and that's about, right? Like software running on a server, it, you know, just a, a purely software that's environment. Cool. And you're talking about six plus nines, or right, six to nine nines, uh, in the messy in physical real world, like that, yes. I, and again, I think you're right. I think people, just, it's 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 hard to wrap your mind around what
0: that really right. means. Right, and and with without a map, I don't think you come close to two ninths.
2: And it's because it's because you have to have a sense of of what you know in order to focus on what you aren't sure about.
0: Well, you you have to have you have to know things about the scene you're operating in with a pretty high certainty to make the decisions correctly. Uh, and, and the map is, is the way to do that. Uh, you know, you, you, can think about, uh, recognizing lines on the road. There's much more, more going on, you know, in, in, on the road b- besides that, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of, uh, deep things. And and it's, it's not trivial to put that together.
1: I was going to say it doesn't help that terminology around nine nines and is oftentimes, well, maybe because of Elon, I'm not sure. We'll, We'll blame him on this one, but kind of using terminology that has been used in the past uh, for as you were talking about like software and now is being used to talk about something far more complicated and really sort of like interchanging the terminology in a way that um, it, I don't know maybe it's just relying on jargon to create more confusion it seems like there's a lack of understanding in in really how difficult this this is to reach when we're talking about movies mm-hmm. I, I,
0: I think yeah the the goal to get get it to where you can take your eyes off the road. That's, that's a, a lot of, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot to go into that. And, and you have the, the players that are closest to doing that, like Waymo, they're, they're probably much closer to that. They're, they're able to take, take them out in certain, in certain uh, operating domains, but uh, doing it in general, I think they're still working on.
1: I want to switch, well, not switch gears really, but um, certainly we're still talking about mapping, but, can you talk a little bit about just the origin story of DeepMap? I mean, we've been talking a lot about mapping, but curious about just the 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 founding story of the company.
0: Yeah. Uh so, so it was in 2016, uh James, James Wu, uh, my co-founder, he uh he worked uh as a tech lead under me at Google many years before uh but left to go help Apple kickstart their mapping uh mapping product uh well he, he shows up at google uh uh on the on the premise that he's got a career uh decision to make and he wanted my advice and so he's pr- laying out all these options he was he was basically uh offered jobs by many of the a- big ava aff- for efforts to lead their hd mapping efforts and uh then he gets to a point and he says well i thought about it and i thought you know I could take all all, any of these jobs and, you know, they're very good jobs, but he he thought, you know, ultimately I think they wouldn't quite get to where it would need to be for various reasons. And it's not because they're small companies or, you know, these are big companies he was talking to. Um, But his sense was that everybody is reinventing the wheel and uh, there's uh, a lot of efforts going on and, kind of spreading all the, the people around that would know how to solve it. And his idea was it would be better if somebody got, you know, all the, all the guys together, solved it for everybody. And then, you know, offered it as a, as a product. And, and I, I kind of like was nodding my head and saying, yeah, that, that actually is is probably right. And, uh, and then he says, Oh, and, uh, you know, will, will you come start it with me? <laughs> And, uh, you know, at Google, it's like a pretty big deal to like uh, take off. Uh, You know, it's a fairly uh, great place to work. But uh, after a couple of weeks of thinking about it, yeah, I I decided to jump out with them.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious if you could just kind of dig into that a little bit. You thought about it for a couple of weeks, but ultimately, why did you choose to Leave a, a pretty great job at a well known company certainly uh you could have continued to build out interesting products there
0: yeah i google is great and and you know allowing you to to do all all sorts of things they're fairly flexible about you know finding you projects that you want to work on so that you know in in a sense Google's almost the perfect place to work but uh ultimately you know I, we looked at this opportunity as like, this is going to change the world. And uh, a big problem it, we we still think is that uh, solving the scalable map problem. And from from what we saw in, in the industry is that all these guys had AV or uh, HD map teams, but only enough HD map uh, engineers to like, keep them running on the road, not to really solve the problem properly. Uh, And until somebody solves this properly, you're, you're not going to have this uh, kind of widely adopted. Uh, And uh, we, we uh, decided to take a, take a chance on that and uh, do our, do our best to, to solve this.
1: um, I know it looks like Ed wants to ask a question, but I wanted to ask you about this. So, you mentioned that a lot of AV companies were building out their own HD mapping, and and there's certainly that's continued. But have you started to see a shift? Are companies, are AV companies, actually expanding those teams and really digging in, or are they turning instead to companies like DeepMap?
0: Yeah. So, so yeah that that has been a little bit of a surprise. So, uh, we we thought. That they would turn to us sooner, and one of the reasons is they have so many problems to solve, and HD mapping is probably as big as any of those problems, you know, as well. So, uh, for for them to, you know, spread their focus so so thin, uh, we we think was was probably not not the best thing, but. I think in in their, in a lot of these companies minds they're they're looking at it like we we're still developing the technology in a you know limited area and we can build the HD map in that area and, and manage it for now and you know kind of keep a focus on that so so a lot of these these uh, bigger players are are kind of reluctant to to uh you know de- depend on somebody else for that and that's understandable, but at some point, you know, they're going to hit a point where they, they're going to say, okay, now we want to do five Metro areas and they're going to look at this team of 20 guys and they're going to say, well, we can do that in like two years or something like this. Uh, and, and, you know, hire, you know, you'll have to hire a bunch more people to do it. Uh, so, so they're going to be faced with a, a decision. Like what, what do we, what do we do to make that jump to actually deploy this on all her scale? And if, it's going to be a a difficult choice for them because uh, the cost of doing this is not cheap. It's, it's, it's significant. Google found this out the hard way. Apple found this out even harder, even though they were doing it (laughs) after Google. Uh, So, so it's not a a trivial investment for them to, to take on. Uh, And ultimately let's say, let's say they do decide to, you know, hire 100 or 200 engineers and keep them churning on this uh, year after year. Uh, in the end, if they're competing, you know, they have a robotaxi taxi service or something competing against somebody who's sharing the costs of the maps, uh, they're going to be, you know, having to charge a little extra on every ride to cover that cost. So, so in the end, even like, unless there's like one or if there's two players, maybe they each keep their stuff separate. And it's kind of an even game, but if if there's you know many players, then then it would be uh, a cost disadvantage. And there's also an opportunity cost disadvantage. Like you know, if if you decide I'm ready to scale out tomorrow, and the map team isn't, you know, if it takes them two years to get your your fleet deployed in like five cities or something like this, then you're leaving it open to somebody else doing that. and we and we can do these things very quickly. like uh, when we when we work with companies, uh, they give us areas of map and we turn around very quickly compared to what they're able to do.
2: You mentioned cost um, and like where where does that come from? And I know you know I know like, for example, I, I've been learning more about just sort of how cost intensive um, like just AI in general is in terms of the infrastructure and and, and all that that you need. and I imagine, you know, you need quite the data infrastructure to handle this, especially at, at any kind of scale. Is that where the cost is coming from, or is it actually collection of the data or the hardware? Like, where's the cost coming from?
0: So, so uh, there's developing the, the systems to manage the data, uh, getting the quality right. You know, uh, you could do a lot. You know, pumping in a bunch of data and then wind up with not being able to put it together properly. And this is a very challenging problem uh, that doing it on a, a global scale is, is not, not trivial at all. Uh, then, then there's, uh, managing the building of the map, uh, and then keeping it up to date, you know, you know, there's a constant churn that this, this is the thing that almost everybody learns the hard way is, you know, they, they go out and build a HD map and then their team goes out and drives it and said, Oh, oh, God! It didn't work here, here, and here because things changed. Uh, so, so managing the, all this kind of change detection and updating stuff is is a big part of what we're offering.
1: Yeah. So, are you competing mostly then? Sorry, Ed. Uh, with are you competing with sort of two separate uh, groups of companies, the AV companies for one, until they either determine decide that they're gonna scale up their teams and go all in or turn to you and then uh the some of the legacy companies and other startups or or really are you just competing with with sort of not really the a v companies so much and you anticipate them coming
0: around uh, i I wouldn't say we're competing with the a v companies uh we still consider them uh potential customers uh we don't we don't see them actually uh, competing with us like directly, uh, but sure. Yeah. But
1: if they're if they're not if they're choosing to do it in house, it's essentially taking yeah. away a potential customer right. from you, right? right. You know.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we we think that it will be a challenge for them to do that on a global scale. Uh, and honestly, you know, uh, Google can pull it off. Yeah, they have all the uh people and technology to pull this off and the the money to do it. But I think even in Google, they start looking at these expenditures and the costs and they're gonna have to 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 consider that at some point.
2: So one of the the interesting things about Deep Map is it's sort of in between. So you mentioned the the legacy approach, which is like a right, dedicated mapping fleet that's out there. Um and you know there's you know you get a lighter on them, so you get high precision, but you get you know, it's, it's harder to keep it fresh because there's only, you know, you can only have that be so so large. You also have companies that sort of take the the opposite approach, which is sort of get cheaper hardware onto all the cars. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so you think of like mobilized mapping effort and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, you've already talked about the difference between having LIDAR and not having LIDAR, but you also mentioned that more and more uh, vehicles are, are slowly starting to actually get LIDAR too. Like um, is the, is the distributed sort of the, I, is distributed approach to mapping um, sort of higher scale but lower cost hardware? Um, is that is there a reason that, that DeepMap didn't go in that direction that you went the way that you did?
0: Well, in some sense, that's the direction we we believe will be the end result. But doing it with only cameras uh, isn't going to give you an HD map. Uh, it'll it'll give you a map of some uh, quality, but not. Uh, nearly uh, the level of detail and uh, accuracy that you would need to to really do self driving uh, it might it might help it might help make some l two features a little bit better but uh, get getting it to the point where you can really take your eyes off the road those those kind of maps are far away from what you would need
2: so it's it 's constrained by the cost of the of the the lidar essentially of, of high quality sensing equipment
0: yes yeah okay there's another side to it as well, and the other side to it is, in order to build the map to a high enough level of quality, you you actually have to pull data off of the car. Uh, right now, uh, a lot of the guys with the camera-based solutions are are pulling some data off the car, but maybe not the data you would need to build an accurate map. You're referring to Mobileye and Tesla, uh, and others, <laughs> and others, so, and so a lot of people are playing that game, and
3: and and. If I understand correctly, you know, look, Volvo, for example, is these Luminar-equipped vehicles, I guess the next-generation vehicles. But those LiDARs, the Luminar LiDAR units, are only, for, only have a forward field of view. Am I correct? Yes. And so your, your, your data collection, even off a LiDAR-equipped vehicle,
0: is limited by that forward field of view, the, the high-resolution. I'm not sure happens. how many they're putting on for the, the first iteration, but eventually, my, I imagine they will have more coverage around the vehicle. But I think probably the, for the first generation they're using it, I don't know, I, I would guess maybe to, uh, to, uh, help with the type of things radar is used for.
3: So, uh, here's a wild question. Um, so you, you know, you guys raised, uh, a, a nice amount of money, uh, in your series B with some very interesting investors and Jason Horwitz and others, uh, that plus the fact that you have offices in China. So what kind of issues do, do you foresee or exist today or may rise related to your data collection in China? Like what are the political dimensions to that? Um, yeah,
0: that, that's pretty complicated. Uh, yeah, I, I think we want to stay away from that one. Honestly, yeah. It says it's there's a ton of cast. These are the kinds yeah. of questions and, we ask. Yeah. yeah, it it's complicated. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated. We we do we do have people in China.
2: Right. And 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 do you have, are your operations global at this point? Or I mean do you have
0: so you we we've built maps in seven countries so far and um adding another one in a couple of weeks.
2: And and is this approach is it sort of fundamentally linked to level four, level five, or like, because I, I know level three is a little bit of a controversial issue, but there are companies that have products with it and, and you would imagine a more robust sensor suite there. Is that something that, uh, it, you know, is applicable to what you're doing? Or are you really building this around a, that level four kind of deployment?
0: So so uh, we are uh, working with companies on level two plus. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so essentially our our, our map, is is our l four map for a lot of the l two plus players you know that's sort of the you know type of information they need to actually make improvements in level two plus as well huh. so there there's there's uh, great overlap there uh, the challenge with l- level two plus though is how do you keep it up to date hmm. well i i mean I imagine you're solving a very fundamental problem that
3: Tesla's yet to solve which is Uh, I get phantom braking as I approach almost every bridge. Bridges don't move. (laughs) And yet they seem incapable of, even with with camera and radar, creating a a rudimentary map that includes bridge locations.
0: Yeah, I I think they have other problems similar to that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I I think all these camera radar uh, solutions have problems with knowing when a car is in lane or not. And this is kind of fundamental. And In LiDAR, you don't have this problem.
3: And what level of accuracy uh, are uh, are your
0: uh, mapping solutions? Like so, centimeter so, centimeters, I assume. So our 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 aim is to get everything to be within five centimeters at one standard deviation. So what that means is, occasionally you might have a twenty centimeter error, but that's very rare. Uh, in urban and uh, you know, city, we're we're under that uh highway we're still trying to get everything under that
1: and is the why is it more difficult to achieve that at the highway because you're traveling at h- faster speeds
0: yeah uh there's some of that and there's a uh, kind of a sparsity of data you know ge- sparsity of geometric information on the highway so right. it makes it a little more challenging got it uh, yeah there 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 are uh, lots of complicated situations to kind of get it down to that level.
1: You mentioned that you're in how many countries? Are you mapped five countries now? Seven. Seven, and you're about to add another one. So I, I'm going to assume that you're picking those countries based on the concentration of activity around AV and also level two plus sort of development and deployment.
0: Right. So, so we're we're we've mapped in all the countries that the OEMs care most about.
1: <laughs> right. Uh,
0: and okay. then we've mapped in a couple others.
1: <laughs> OK, so what are those
0: others? Uh, where people are paying us to, to do, do that further.
1: OK, are you able to name oh, the countries? One of our been?
0: customers is uh, Einride in Sweden. OK. And we've never been to Sweden, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've had lots of maps there.
2: Got it. All right. Are some places harder to map than others?
0: Sweden was hard uh, because of uh, the during the winter, not much sun. Mm. Um, We met uh, in Canada in very snowy conditions. Uh, Snow is is makes it a little more difficult.
1: Is snow the most difficult, or snow combined with lack of sun the most most difficult environmental? issue in terms of having really accurate maps or is there something that's even more challenging
0: Uh, I think snow is possibly the worst case if like you know lane lines are covered up you can't really build the map model of them then but (laughs) we've we've tested our solution in in snow and we can drive around snow covered roads without ever going out of lane
1: Hmm. Uh, before we wrap up because we're coming up on a on a nice hour here what's your prediction I and mean, what's your forecast of the industry from where you sit i mean not just your company but what do you see happening over the next course of 2 years let's say
0: well well we've seen the consolidation start to happen and that that was kind of inevitable i think uh, the amount of money you need to do this you you and you know, the, the startups uh, like zooks and all these guys they had to 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 get to some place where they had uh, enough funding and runway to, to actually uh, accomplish that. So the consolidation was uh, bound to happen. Uh, it'll be interesting how many players actually make it to production that that's uh, going to be the big question. Is it going to be a two player ecosystem or, you know, where every OEM actually has, has some s- solution. Uh yeah, it's, it's it's hard to say. There's there's a lot, you know, a lot of very uh, strong efforts going on. Uh, some in OEM space, some in uh, AV tech space. Uh, uh, a lot of people are now putting focus on uh, trucking. Uh, we 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 work with a, f- a few trucking companies actually uh, that that has a very good potential because the domain is constrained and uh, technically I think
1: it's
0: close to solved. Uh, It's just, you know, deploying it at a reasonable scale and being able to uh, pull the drivers or well, have the drivers, you know, do less and less. I think you'll see that roll out with like a level two plus capability where they're kind of getting more assistance than taking all of the, the driving task on
2: is there is there like a single technical thing that could really like that that could be a major breakthrough for mapping? You mentioned sort of cheaper lidar and and sort of the hybrid sensors and things like that. Is that it? Are there other things that are maybe more buried in the stack that people don't know about that like where where there could be a really fundamental breakthrough that you're waiting for maybe from academia or or who knows or or, or at your own company?
0: Yeah, and uh, all the deep learning. Uh, Uh, improvements actually help in, in mapping, uh, they don't solve it, but they help push, push the, uh, level of, uh, uh, the cost and the level of manual effort needed. Uh, uh, there, there's, there's some work going on in improving GPS, which would help. Uh, but again, GPS won't solve it, but it helps. Uh, and we've seen even since we started a, a big change there, like our RTK level uh, GPS is becoming more and more accessible. Whereas when we started, it was like you know, 15,000 to even get like the, the basic RTK unit. And for those that don't know, RTK basically gives you, you know, anywhere from five centimeter to 10 centimeter accuracy from the GPS system in real time uh, in 2001. So we bring this full circle to the beginning as we wrap this up, when
3: you were uh, uh, mapping, how much did a GPS unit cost that you mounted on a vehicle?
0: Oh, uh, I wasn't mounting them on vehicles, but you know, like uh, uh, I would sell, I, I think $10,000 for a good GPS unit for surveying. And that's kind of what we were using. Yeah
2: and today that uh, comparable performance would be oh i
0: think you can get that for a couple thousand
2: now yeah yeah amazing uh,
0: but but uh, some of the some of the manufacturers are coming out with rtk systems that i think are on the order of a couple hundred bucks for automotive wow so uh, well that will help <laughs> yeah
2: absolutely uh, well we look forward to seeing how uh, those breakthroughs uh, affect the Fascinating World of Mapping, um, and Mark Wheeler of Map, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
0: Yeah, uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Great.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm the senior transportation reporter with TechCrunch.
2: What, what's your name again?
1: What?
3: <laughs> what's your name?
2: You forgot to say your name. Oh, I did. Yeah.
3: Well, what's the order here? Kirsten, then <laughs> Your
2: your job has completely subsumed your identity. It finally happened. <laughs>
1: it is. I don't have a name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.